Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts. They've been here with us since day one, and um, it's where we actually learn how to make things like Pixel Sift. We make podcasts, video, and radio, and it all came out of our degree at, at Murdoch University. Now, if you're interested in a creative degree in games, sound, film, journalism, or maybe you want to combine little bits and pieces and be really employable, um, you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to learn about everything that they've got on offer. So that's Murdoch edu.au forward slash arts uh, or you can search for Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Hello, hello, and welcome to Pixel Sift. I'm your host, Gianni, and for those of you who are joining us for the very first time, we're a show that's dedicated to the indie developers from around Australia, Australasia, and the world, and each week we talk to them and find out why they make games. Uh, Joining me tonight are Fiona in the studio with me. Hello. And we've got Sarah on the line as well. Hello. And our guest for this evening is Clinton McCleary. He's from a studio called Caustic Reality, and he's here to talk, tell us all about his game, which is called Infliction. Clinton, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Howdy, howdy. Thanks for having me. We're going to learn all about your game. It's a, it's a bit of a spooky game. I was a bit afraid to play it a bit today <laughs> when I did play it. Um, but first up, what are we checking out uh, off the top of the show, Sarah? So, earlier this week, the Australian Senate released a report looking into loot boxes in video games. So, tonight we'll be talking about what that report included and what it might mean for Australian gamers. Love me some loot boxes. Let's jump in, shall we? Do you, though? Really? We'll we'll find out. (laughs) Pixel Sieve! It's not Pixel Sieve. It's Pixel Sifter. Pixel Sieve! Sarah, loot boxes. Loot boxes. Loot boxes, Johnny. Do you really love them? Well, what? I want you to look deep inside your soul and ask yourself: Do you really love loot boxes? I think it depends. It's a, it's like any relationship, isn't it? It's some you have some good days, some bad days. So, <laughs> so earlier this week, the Australian Senate re- released a report, didn't they? They absolutely did. And who oh boy, it was a whammy by looking at, you know, all the notes that you guys have compiled on it. I mean, particularly what interested me is the way that they've categorized loot boxes into three different kinds, which I never really considered because previously, uh, as someone that I'm not particularly keen on loot boxes, I've been burned by them. I've realized I've wasted money on them. I thought it was really interesting 
how they had basically sat down and reviewed them and found that there's three very distinctive types, ones that are awarded to players due to gameplay, so no monetary um, you know, influence was going in there. You just get them if you play the game. Then ones that were, you get a loot box, but you have to buy the key to open it, which I know happens a lot in Killing Floor. And then loot boxes that you just straight up purchase and you get random items within them. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm. I thought that was interesting as well because whenever someone says loot boxes, I immediately think, oh, you got to pay for that. But mm. to think there's actually categorised ones that you don't pay for at all. It's interesting. What I find is, well, I don't know if interesting is the word I'd use <laughs> to describe it, but the ones where they actually give you a loot box, but they lock away the key mm. and then you have to buy the key. For me, that feels like really, you know, like they've got you on the hook there and you're, you're, you've got this box sitting there. You're like, maybe I'll get a cool item or something like that. Like a carrot on a string. Yeah. And it's like the carrot costs one ninety nine, And every time you want to, you know, get in, you have to, to purchase another one. Um, it's really interesting. They did go through this pretty um, broadly. They've had a bunch of people from the GDAA, for example, the Game Developers Association of Australia. Um, they've also had uh, the a number of senators who have kind of been asking questions of people within the industry. And they've sort of identified that there are, you know, some of the big causes of problems with, with loot boxes. Now, Clinton, uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand. Now, you said you've got some opinions on loot boxes. Tell me, do you love loot boxes? <laughs> not particularly. Um, yeah, as you say, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a lover of microtransactions uh, on the whole. I don't think really. But uh, it feels like uh, loot boxes, uh, as you guys were saying earlier, with them being categorised uh, the way they have been, um, the gameplay ones don't feel as dirty to me because it's almost like opening a chest in a game where whatever's inside is randomised. Uh, that that feels okay, but. Um, yeah, <laughs> having to pay for a chance to get something, um, not, not the biggest fan of it personally, that, no. It feels rough, doesn't it? It's just the thought of it just does. holding it back. Now, they were also sort of identified one of the other issues of that is, uh, especially so the one that when you pay to get a key, that really reminds me of um, probably one of the really early ones that we would have sort of seen this for was Team Fortress 2 actually had this model, and so does Counter-Strike, where you actually have to buy a key, and I think Dota as well. I may need to be checking my facts on that one, but a lot of the Valve games, Games. And Valve are the ones that kind of came into, I guess, a lot of criticism because they actually facilitated the capacity for people to do something called skin gambling, um, where basically skins in a game, like a weapon skin that makes your machine gun look orange or your knife look cool with a snake on it or something like that, they were used as a virtual sort of poker chip and you could actually cash out. Uh, into the real world by connecting your Steam account to a whole bunch of third-party services. So that's all been shut down now. Valve has sort of limited their access to third-party access, but that was part of the reason why there was a lot of criticism and sort of really closely linked the skin and loot box and all of this sort of cosmetic items to a to a gambling sort of situation. Now, Fiona, they were, did look into sort of some of the information about what those loot boxes would work and if they were connected to gambling, didn't they? Yeah, they looked a little bit into it and in some instances it's not considered gambling because you don't get that physical money. Mm. Like in Steam you can sell items to other players for cash but you can't take that cash out of an, uh, the actual Steam website. So in that case some people say it's not gambling because you don't have that physical money but in other, in other countries they do say it is. I feel like with Steam, it, with Counter-Strike, Global Offensive especially, 
when you're dealing in items that a community deems to be worth over $200, because if you know anything about Counter-Strike, you know that everyone loves knives. Knives go for over hundreds of dollars um, on the gambling market, the community market. I'm sure knives were a top thing back when these, um, these lottery websites were functioning. And when an item reaches that higher value and maybe even more, I feel like it's kind of a bit crazy to kind of just go, oh, yeah, well, that doesn't matter. Like people are selling them, like people are paying real money to someone else to get them to trade them a knife. Like that kind of thing still happens and was happening. So at that point, I feel like it's it's almost like its own kind of culture that's developed. It's like it's too, it's almost kind of feels like, why would you just kind of dismiss this as not a problem when there's definitely like, you know, money changing hands and huge amounts within this kind of micro community of sorts. Well, it's absolutely got a value associated with it. You know, it's not mm, that it isn't worth precisely. nothing. It's yeah. worth $200 worth of games if you choose mm. to spend the money yeah, on that. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, but even then, like people could theoretically, and I'm sure this has happened, I need to do the research to confirm, but, you know, in Valve, especially Valve games, you can trade items between players. If player A goes, I'll sell you my knife for $200, here's my PayPal, and player B goes, okay, sure, very easily they could trade the $200 knife through Val's system and someone could cash out a real $200 from that. Yeah. Um, so that kind of also feeds into it. That's obviously not what this report looked at, but I feel like just to say, oh, it doesn't matter, it's fake money, it's like, well, it could be real money at the same time. So if you're just joining us, uh, this is Pixel Sift. Uh, we're an indie game interview podcast, but we also break down the news. And this week, the Australian Senate has just released a report into loot boxes in games, and they're kind of looking at some of the challenges that we're talking about here. Now, we've got a few comments on on Twitch. Now, Moody Zander has said that gambling is gambling, whether or not you get your money back or not, because you can go into a casino and lose all your money. It's still gambling, isn't it? Um, there's just the hook on there. And Yoss has said on Facebook that I got a Dota 2 exotic blade for Juggernaut, which sold for $200. Oh. So there's some serious money there. Like that does contribute to something else, and that's $200 worth of money that uh, that Yoz doesn't need to spend. Um, SQDJ says that loot box really do seem like the digital version of the basketball cards where people would trade them amongst themselves, mm. but there was a lot of money attached to it. I'm a Pokemon card uh, fan myself, uh, so I think I can see that sort of uh, issue there. And, and sort of coming out of the the sort of discussions about what the problems were with these loot boxes and why they need to do that, a number of countries have actually gone and done reviews that are very similar. So um, places like Belgium and France, Denmark, Germany, the UK, even New Zealand as well, have kind of looked into it and sort of seen. And Belgium actually came to the conclusion that loot boxes were gambling and therefore gambling was not legal. So loot boxes are effectively banned in Belgium. So if you sell your game in Belgium, you can't have any loot boxes in it at all. So because Belgium is part of the EU, which kind of operates as one sort of mega uh, country, it kind of actually then restricts a number of other things in that area. So it's really interesting to, to sort of see. Now, Clinton, you say that you weren't like a huge fan of loot boxes. You like the one-time purchase and that's it. Do you think we should be banning loot boxes? Um, well, I'm not sure if they should be banned or not. I don't, I don't feel like I'm an authority on, on, on loot boxes at all. Um, you know, I've got my, got my own opinion. Um, mm. well, how do you feel? <laughs> I wouldn't be upset if they went away. Um, not at all. I feel like, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if these, uh, loot boxes are sort of driven by a greater, a greater issue to do with, um, you know, the cost of creating games today and, mm. Uh, I've heard arguments sort of thrown around saying that uh, games haven't increased with inflation, although in Australia we seem to pay a bit extra than the rest of the world. I'm not sure why that is exactly. But, uh, yeah, I feel like um, the there's a need for loot boxes from 
publishers and some developers as well. And that maybe the issues lie, um, you know, maybe there's a deeper cause there um, to do with the, the cost of games today and the fact that, you know, DLCs used to be far more popular than they, than they are now. And um, I feel like loot boxes are filling that void, but I also feel like it's a thing that not necessarily anybody has asked for. So. Mm. <laughs> It was yeah. found by Juniper Research that loot boxes and skin gambling will earn $50 billion annually in global consumer, consumer spending by 2022. And gaming's a $100 billion industry, yeah. so that's like half the industry there. I think it's uh, really mm, interesting. Which is insane. It is huge, huge mm. money. Now, actually, uh, you, Clinton, I think you were pretty close to the money there because the, com- the Senate committee actually did hear some evidence that over the past two decades that retail prices haven't really increased in games, though the cost of making a game has increased significantly as games got more complex and more higher quality and all that sort of stuff. And they also found that that sort of in-game purchase such as the loot box mechanic has been that core revenue prop which ensures the viability of the video game industry and that you know developers and publishers now rely on the purchases of very small percentage of players to pay for the whole industry effectively. So yeah, I think you were pretty close to it on there. Um, the committee did sort of make a few recommendations and I guess the first number of recommendations that they did make, I guess one they made sort of um, five different recommendations, but one to four were effectively that we need to work out whether or not loot boxes are gambling first under Australian law. And then if they are, we need to mark boxes when you go to the shop. It says to say that it contains simulated gambling uh, in there, like you might say, you know, simulated violence or, you know, anything you would see on the front cover of a, of a game or a movie. Um, and then if they do, if they aren't, if like if, if it's loot boxes but it's not gambling, so like a, maybe an Overwatch-style loot box, um, then you would uh, – so have to classify it as MA15, but if it was considered that type of loot box, like a Dota 2 skin, um, you would have to make it an R18 game, which seems very uh, optimistic, I think. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's one of the recommendations that they made to kind of uh, sort of uh, – that's the Australian Greens, sorry, made those recommendations if they wanted to kind of do it. They're going to the, – the Senate committee is definitely going to go and do a further review um, and the IGEA, which is the, one of the another peak body that represents the Australian games industry, sort of re- supports that re- review and a whole bunch of different departments will work out whether loot boxes are good or bad. But, you know, decide yourself and we'll see what happens. I think these sort of things are really sort of slow-moving beasts and we will kind of find out a bit more about this as we go along. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I quite like some loot boxes, but I have definitely felt the, the sting of spending loot boxes and getting uh, not a lot back for, for my money. So, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing quite like fifty dollars worth of sprays. Yes, fifty dollars worth of sprays. Yes, I'm, I'm extra. Yeah, I've definitely been of that thing. Yeah, like this one will be good. This one will be good. No, nah. <laughs> a whole bunch of emotes and, that and, I don't need. <laughs> and you end up with one great item that you already own. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, look, uh, I think we'll find out heaps more about this as it comes along, and we'll bring you more updates on this as the sort of situation develops. Maybe when that other review on loot boxes comes out, we'll, we'll bring it back to you. Right now, though, let's jump into our next topic, shall we? Hey there. If you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. I'm going to do that, Fiona. 
just because you suggested it. <laughs> uh, now, if you're just joining us, this is Pixel Sift. We're a fortnightly uh, gaming podcast that goes live on Twitch and Facebook and YouTube and everything on your local microwave. Um, and joining us this week is our guest, Clinton McCleary. He is from Caustic Reality. He's a solo developer and he's just made and released the game Infliction. Clinton, what is Infliction? Uh, Infliction is an adventure horror game. Uh, it explores the darkness that can lurk within a normal suburban home. So as, as, as players will wander through this home, uh, looking through the remnants of a once happy family, reading letters and journals and voicemails, piecing together clues to understand the events that led you here, uh, you're being stalked by a being of infinite rage. Uh, they're, they're stalking you and they're waiting to unleash their anger on you. Um, that is infliction. <laughs> Sounds like a normal suburban home to me. Uh, <laughs> pop it out there. So you've made this game by yourself. It's the first major game that you've released by yourself. Is it your first game ever? Yes, yes, it is. Um, I have worked on a couple of smaller projects because I studied. Um, I formally studied game development and I had submitted a couple of small assignments, but... This is my first game that you can play from start to finish. Yeah. And what was it like making that game by yourself over the number of years that it took you to make it? It has its pros and cons, you know. Um, uh, one of the big pros of working by yourself uh, is that I think um, about halfway through development, I decided to double my development time and just expand the game by twice as much. Uh, obviously, if you're part of a team or if you're working with a publisher or something like that, you can't necessarily make decisions like that on the fly just because you think it will be better. Um, so, you know, that's one of the pros of working by yourself. And, uh, yeah, there's there's that whole, like, not necessarily having to answer to anyone or, you know, um, any of that sort of thing. But the cons of working by yourself are, you know, also that you are by yourself. So if you're making something, you know, you don't necessarily have that other person to bounce an idea off of or if you're trying to make like a scary sequence, um, it's a bit hard to scare yourself with something you've created yourself. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it would be, uh, you know, it's advantageous to have those extra people around you to sort of let you know that, no, you're not crazy, it's working. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Now. Speaking of scary, now you had a you know a career before you jumped back into making a game as a solo game developer. Was it scary to take that leap, and and why did you take the leap? Sure. Um, so I was at a place where I was I was working full time as an instructional designer, and I was making really good money. Um, and uh, my I, I started uh, Inflictions Development while I was working at that job. So I was doing game development sort of part-time on the weekends and evenings and working full-time. And then uh, my daughter was born. Uh, so at that point, I was um, having to be a new father and, and working on the game and working full-time and studying full-time as well. So my life got pretty full all of a sudden. Um, so uh, something was going to have to give and something eventually did. Um, I was made redundant from my job. Um so, you know, as, as scary as that was, having a, uh, like being a new father and having to look after a family and all that sort of stuff, mm. uh, it was a blessing in disguise as well because it allowed me to sort of pursue my dreams. And I don't think, you know, in life you, you're never really going to get an opportunity to do that. Um, I feel like, you know, for me, I just sort of looked at it as my one chance to go ahead and pursue this and see where it takes me. 
And uh, how has the reception kind of been since you've you've put it out there into the world and, you know, you took that leap into making this game and releasing it? Yeah, uh, the reception's been pretty good. Um, yeah, I guess uh, I kind of got a preview of it because I did, I did a Kickstarter um, a few months before the release of the game. And with that Kickstarter, I released a demo. And when I released that demo, I was expecting, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not all over everything like that. You know, I, I sort of tend to shy away from um, sort of speaking in forums or all this sort of stuff. So I, I guess I had a um, very elementary view of sort of what the internet would be would be like towards me in this game. And I was expecting, I suppose, negativity because when you look at your own work, you're, you're your own harshest critic. So I released the demo and it was just overwhelmingly positive and that sort of gave me the confidence I think that I needed to like launch a full game that was a commercial product uh, if I'm honest because yeah that that demo was well received and that was a good representation of what the game is so um, yeah. I've just got a quick question from the chat. So ever since the PT demo was released years ago, everyone freaked out over the idea of, you know, oh, well, we, since we're not going to get this game, we ever, a lot of indie devs tried to make their own suburban house horror and stuff. I've seen a lot of very terrible ones. I've seen some pretty good ones. So Moody and Zanik in the chat wants to know what makes Infliction stand out as being different? Like what makes Infliction, you know, hit like what was that kind of response so obviously you got a really positive response to the demo that you released like what do you feel like did you try and make this stand out from all the rest um no not really <laughs> i actually uh i actually don't play horror games myself so I, hang I, on a second you, you don't play horror games so why did you want to make a horror game because I love horror. I love the genre. I love the movies. I love the TV shows. Um, when I think of like, you know, art that I want to create as a creative person, um, a lot of it comes to me during music and I listen to a lot of like death metal and that sort of thing. So I was driving to work one day and I was listening to a white zombie song and, um, you know, I was getting right into it. But while this music's playing, I often have visuals come into my mind that match the music. And the final scene of Infliction was the first thing that I thought of for the whole game. Um, and that was paired to some music. But um, in terms of like how like I've, I've seen uh, I've seen PT being played. I know what it is. Uh, <laughs> I've seen the comparisons to my stuff. And uh, look, I think PT is definitely an influence um, as, as well as uh, games like Gone Home and, and things like that. I think the difference between my game and, and something like PT um, is that, you know, my ones are fully, I'm, I'm fully exploring the lives of characters and I'm telling a story. It's, um, yeah, so it's uh, more of a gone home style environmental storytelling game uh, in that sort of a sense as opposed to, um, well, I don't even know how you'd classify uh, PT storytelling necessarily, but... Uh, I feel like it stands on its own mm. purely due to the um, exploration of the characters and what their lives are because the the punchline of PT was that, you know, um, that this murder had happened in this house and that was kind of like the point of it. Uh, Infliction gets that punchline out of the way at the start of the game and the story of Infliction, when you start it, you might think that that's going to be what the game's about but really the game's about the journey from how they got from like a happy family to that point as opposed to just 
what you know what that punchline is. Mm. That's really, really cool. Like being someone that doesn't play that very many horror games but enjoys horror media, do you feel like that was maybe beneficial in you creating a horror game? Or did you feel like maybe that was more detrimental to your experience of, of doing it, you know, straight off the bat? I feel like it was um, definitely like beneficial and advantageous that, you know, I haven't played like Outlast or Amnesia or uh, any of these things. I have played. Um, Alien Isolation, which probably had a bit of an influence on me, but uh, it's definitely an advantage because some of the feedback that I've had from people is that this game feels different from the other games they've played recently and they never really quite sort of articulate what's different about it and I'm not sure they even understand themselves. I think that it probably feels different because it's not influenced by whatever other games they've been playing out of the same genre, if that makes sense. That's Yeah, that does. That's really, really cool. Infliction yeah. <laughs> was also recently nominated for Australian Developed Game of the Year. How did you feel about that when you found out you were nominated or your game was nominated? Um, yeah, it's really it's a really humbling experience. Um, I, I look at it and I'm <laughs> a little bit shocked. I'm still a little bit shocked because that's pretty recent news, but... Um, yeah, I, f- I feel pretty excited, and 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 um, I just I sort of can't believe that my my little my little creation that I've worked on by myself for so long is appreciated enough to even be considered next to what are some incredible games uh, in the same category. So um, I feel absolutely honoured, and yeah, I'm just happy to be part of the conversation. <laughs> Now, Clinton, you mentioned there, and I guess for people who are just tuning in, if they've just turned on, that we're actually speaking to Clinton McCleary. He's from Caustic Reality. He's made a game called Infliction. And you mentioned that the the game draws heavily on from that Gone Home. And actually, when I was playing through it, that was something I did sort of recognize. What sort of things did you want to include in that sort of sort of explorational sort of narrative story? And, and what sort of things did you say, well, that's not going to work for the kind of story I want to tell? So the way I sort of approached the storytelling was that I wanted to tell a lot of story through the environment itself. Uh, so what that meant was that I can't really tell the player that they have to pick up this item or that item. So uh, there's a lot of backstory and additional sort of supplemental stuff in the environment to take a hold of. And it's interesting, sometimes I'll watch a Let's Player tug on a thread that um, you know, nobody else has picked up on and they'll unravel this whole sort of little side plot that I had thought out and put in there. Um, but all of that sort of stuff's inconsequential, um, really. Like, it's it's there if you want it, but the main story is delivered through, uh, I suppose, these objectives that you need to collect throughout your, your time playing. So in order to progress, you have to uncover the main story beats, more or less. And that's how this, the, the main plot is delivered. But, uh, yeah, in, in, in the true Gone Home style, like, you know, it's it's probably pretty similar in Gone Home as well. I, I think, like, you could explore that house in that game and discover that the father of the house was an author, I, I think, if memory serves, and mm. he had like, boxes of unsold books. So, like, from that alone, you could sort of determine that, like, he was an author. Maybe he wasn't particularly successful if he's got boxes and boxes of books in his in his uh, study or, you know, there's there's all sorts of little threads you can pull on or like create as a creator just from little hints and nods in different directions. Now, 
One of the things uh, that we've got another question from from Twitch now. Xander has said that you know there are a lot of horror, game, horror games that can give you a bit of a scare. Um, but do you have any sort of things that you want people to kind of be, I guess, haunted by or really kept with, or the thought will stick with them as they play or your game, or even weeks afterwards? Yeah. So um, I won't go into spoilers, but uh, there was uh, an influence, a big influence for the story of Infliction was becoming a new father. And when I became a new father, like I changed fundamentally as a person. Things that I used to find scary, uh, you know, that that totally changed. Um, and I suppose the story was influenced by the things that I now find scary, um, being, you know, the head of a, of, of a family and having a child and that sort of thing. So that's, that had sort of influenced the story. Um, but without going into spoilers, like there's some tragedy that happens around this family and it's all sort of stuff that's, things that can really happen to people and families and some of it's really like heartbreaking um i've even seen uh, a, a, like a, a streamer have to like stop playing the game at a certain point because they were crying so um yeah i definitely wanted um people to walk away sort of feeling something um whether it be like anger or sadness or you know uh what 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 have you? I th- I think it's a safe bet too that I might need to make like something about bunny rabbits and rainbows next time. <laughs> Just go completely other direction, but then it's got a dark twist that everyone can relate to. <laughs> yeah, it's a black rainbow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now the the game is is out now. People can play it. Is this the end of the story for Infliction, or is the story going to continue on? I've got some ideas about um, how I can potentially continue on, but I think, like, for me, I don't necessarily want to be cornered into a genre or anything like that. As a creator, what's important to me is, like, narrative and world building. And if the next thing I create happens to land in the horror genre, because that's kind of where my mind goes in terms of creative freedom, um, then, then so be it. But I think, um, I think you'll definitely see things because uh, I like to sort of expand the universe. I've got like a lot of backstory and filler and there's a whole town in Infliction that you don't see. So I think there's a pretty safe bet um, that you'll see uh, things tie together at some point. Mm. But I don't know whether I'll make a direct sequel to the game or not. Uh, I've been asked the question a few times, but... Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, look look out in the future for potential console ports as well. Now, uh, just one thing, because I'm not the best with horror games or horror things in, in genre. Like, is, is this something that everyone can play or do you really need to be into horror to kind of give it a crack? I think everybody can play it, but uh, if you're not... I, I, I look at horror kind of like this. Um I've seen cynics play it that didn't get scared. I've seen people that don't like horror play it and get really scared. I look at horror almost like comedy where um, if you go to a comedy club with your arms crossed and you're not ready to laugh at the the, the jokes, you're not going to have a good time. So I feel like if you approach horror, you need to do it in the same way as you need to accept the experience, um, get ready to be scared and let the, let the creator take you on a journey. Um, I think as long as you sort of do that with any horror game, I think you'll have a good time, generally speaking. I think that's true of everything, to be honest. You could say that. You know, if you, you're yeah. ready to in, embrace the experience, then, uh, you know, that'll be uh, exactly what you'll get. And if you're not, if you sit back and resist it, then, you know, you won't have a good time. 
and then everyone will be yeah, like, so, <laughs> so jump in and don't resist it. Yeah. Gianni, I know, I know. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it for you, Clinton. I got really close. I, you know, I was walking around in the first segment of the game. I'm like, I'm going to turn on every light I can. And then I um, had the uh, – there was like a, a baby's uh, mobile uh, that kind of mm. sits a rug, uh, a, a cot there, and I had it playing and I walked away and it, I, in another room. And I'm like, no, I have to go back and turn it off. That is just too creepy. It's setting me off. It's something like that. It's just – it's too much. But I'm going to give it a crack for you, Clinton. Thank you, Clinton, for so much for joining us this evening. It's been really interesting to hear about your inspiration. And, and sort of making the game and um, yeah it's been really valuable to have you here with us thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure now this episode is hosted by myself uh, joining us is Sarah and Fiona thank you so much uh, it was produced by Scott Quigg Mitch Lowe and I'm the executive producer thank you very much to Murdoch University School of Arts who supported Pixel Stiff through all of our 110 episodes if you'd like to learn more about all the great creative stuff you can do maybe make a, a lovely fun game with uh colourful colours and, you know, fun things that will, uh, everyone will love or, or a horror game if, you, if you're into it, if you lean into the genre. Um, you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts for more information. Uh, now, Fiona, if people want to find out more information about us, if they want to keep up with what we're doing, where's the best place for them to, to head to? So you can go to our website if you want to stream some of our episodes or you can subscribe as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts. We're on pretty much everything now. Um, so the next next Thursday, this time, we've got Pixel Sift Play, so we play some of the indie games that we have on the show. And then our next podcast episode's on the 13th of December, too close to Christmas. Yes, lucky 13th of December, which is a Thursday. Luckily, we don't have to worry about it. It's not Friday. Um, if you want to find out more about us and you want to come and play some games with us, you can head to our Discord. You can say hi to Clinton. He's in there now. Uh, that's at pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And you can keep up with everything that we're doing. Share us with us your, your memes and all that sort of stuff. Uh, or find us on all the social media platforms. Just look for, uh, for Pixel Sift on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all of them. Clinton, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, now, and in the words of Zeus Caboose, uh, who's going to go out and buy the game now because they need a horror fix, I think I might do just the same. Uh, thank you so much. We will catch you all again next time. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 